As I said this morning, um, this week, in light of the passing of the Queen, I, I did do some rethinking of what I was going to preach on. Uh, tonight I was going to start a new series, actually, in the book of Romans, but uh, we'll have to hold off uh, for a little while yet until we start that. But yesterday I was thinking, how can I best help us, pastorally speaking, to respond to the news that we've probably been waiting to hear, but just weren't quite expecting it? The Queen has died. Long live King. We always knew that someday we would hear those words. But even so, it's certainly not robbed them of the, either their sadness or their solemnity. I wonder, how are you responding to the news that the Queen has died and the King is now on the throne? Last week you were just going about your lives as normal, I presume. Yeah, perhaps we were watching television, we're seeing the news. Boris Johnson up to Balmoral to tender his resignation. Liz Trust, 30 minutes later, the Queen telling her to form a new government. I don't know what you were doing on Thursday. Perhaps you were adjusting to life in your new job. Perhaps you were getting familiar with your surroundings. Perhaps you were enjoying being back at school, meeting up with friends or family. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, the Queen has died. Tonight, my plan in this sermon is to help us to know how we can best respond to that news. The Queen has died. Long live the King. I was reading a a tribute. I don't know if you know Canon J. John. He's got an amazing way with words, and he's written a very fitting tribute. And in his tribute, he, he offers three general ways that we can respond to the news that the Queen has died. Let me just quickly tell you what they are. He said, our first reaction to this news should be one of appreciation. Because we've just lost a truly remarkable queen. Yeah, the queen had her faults. She had her shortcomings. Because no one's perfect. But she was truly remarkable. A lot of people are making a big deal out of the fact that she will go down in history as our longest reigning monarch. That's certainly true. Certainly true quite the accomplishment. But let's recognize that her great accomplishment is not simply that she reigned the longest, but that she reigned so well for so long. Add to that, she's reigned during difficult times. She came to the throne just after our nation was reeling and recovering from World War II. During her time, she she saw the empire rise and fall. She she saw she has seen through her reign many changes. Many prime ministers come and go. Many American presidents come and go. Many world despots come and go. And all the time, she remained constant and steadfast. So the first thing he says, we should surely do in response to this news is appreciate our queen. Second thing he says we should do is we should react with acknowledgement. And what he means by this is that we should acknowledge that the queen's achievements, it wasn't on the basis of our genetics, 
It wasn't on the basis that she had an incredible upbringing. The queen made it known. It was her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that motivated her, drove her, inspired her. It's always something to, to dwell on. The queen recognized her own frailty and weakness. She recognized she needed God. G. John puts it like this. She recognized that the only way to rule an earthly kingdom was to seek a heavenly one. Third way, he says, we should react to the news that the queen has died is one of assurance. You know, a dark shadow is cast over our nation and over the commonwealth and across the globe. She was a landmark, which I think we will later discover we took her for granted. She gave our nation bearing, anchorage, mooring. Some nations, if you want to know who they are, they'll point to their flag, they'll point to their constitution for their identity. I think if you were to ask someone, what does it mean to be British? They would say, the Queen. But here's a great assurance. She knew that she would come. and She knew that she would go. What she had placed her faith in, who she had placed her faith in, she knew would remain forever. And that gives us assurance. Our God stands firm. His kingdom lasts forever. Now, those are some helpful general thoughts about how we should respond to the news that the Queen has died, but I want to give you my own suggestion. My own suggestion is the best way we respond to this news, the Queen has died, long live the King, is we ought to learn how to pray for our monarch. That's what Psalm 72 is all about. I don't know if you know this, it's, it's, it's the prayer of one monarch for another monarch. Now, I don't know what the Queen's last words were to her son Charles this week. I don't know if she prayed for him with them. I don't know if she invited one of our chaplains in to read the scriptures and to pray for them as a family. I don't know if she put her hands on them and spoke a word of blessing. Certainly is a tradition among kings and queens. But you know what I do know? It is most likely that this Psalm, Psalm 72, were David's last words to his son Solomon. This was David's prayer for his son. Let me just highlight a few things. It doesn't say on the order of service street, but if you've got a Bible in front of you, you'll see that the, the title under Psalm 72 says of Solomon. In Hebrew, that can be translated of, for, to. I, I take it that it means a psalm for Solomon. A psalm that was written to Solomon. The other reason I think this is a prayer of David or Psalms, if you look at the very last verse, verse 20, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Now, you might not know this, but uh, some of you will definitely know this. The, the book of Psalms, the book of Sower is, is made up of five books. And this Psalm completes the second book of the Psalter. And if you know anything about the first two books of the Psalms, 
you'll know that they're all about David, or they're largely written by David. Well, this one completes the section of, on David. And, and so verse 20 is, is both a, is, is a statement that completes book 2, and it's also a statement that completes this psalm. Here's the final prayer of King David. So, so I say that by way of introduction, but now let me just highlight, what was this psalm about? Well, as I said, it's a prayer for his son, but it's a prayer that his son would be a better king than he was. It's a prayer that his son would bring about a better world. I don't know what the Queen's prayer was, is, was for Charles, but I suspect it was something along those lines. Maybe, may he be a good ruler, a better ruler than I have been. However, that's not the whole story. If you read through this psalm, the thing you quickly discover is that it's much more than just a prayer for Solomon. This is a royal psalm, but this is also a messianic psalm. This is a prayer for the Messiah, the true king the heavenly king, the one greater than Solomon, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we work our way through this, we're going to see that. This psalm takes us to Jesus. Now, my plan is simple. I just want to walk us through this uh, psalm. It's got four sections to it. We'll just walk through them and see what it has to say. But what I need you to know is that ever since the beginning of Israel, they lived with expectation that God was going to bless them. That was a promise given to Abraham. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And through your offspring, you're going to be a blessing. He's going to be a blessing to the nations. They were a people of hope and expectation. David was a king of hope and expectation. He was given the promise that one of his descendants would reign on his throne forevermore. So with that in mind, let's... Read verses 1 through 7 again. Listen to David's prayer for his son and for his saviour. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. Notice the first thing that David prays for his son, Solomon. He prays that God would give him justice and righteousness. That is to say, he prays that these qualities would mark his character. Just just think about this, right? Instinctively, we all know if we're going to live in a better world, then we need better leaders. And we need better leaders. Or what makes better leaders? Well, good character. 
I don't know if you were following the Tory leadership sort of debacle, debate, the, the whole race. But do you remember what they were all making their platform on the basis of? I'll be marked by integrity, honesty, decency. Why, why was that the case? Because the former leader, he clearly hadn't been characterized by those qualities. We, we, we all know instinctively that if we are going to have leaders, then they need to have character. David prays that his son would be characterized by being just and by being righteous. That's what's greatly lacking in our world today and in our leaders today. Look everywhere in the world and you'll see injustice. There's economic injustice, sexual injustice, social injustice. There's human rights injustices right now with the wars. Racial injustice, class injustice. Look at, look, look around and you'll see that there are many leaders and, and what they lack is a moral compass, integrity, decency, honesty, righteous character. Now, now, just as you look at David's prayer, don't miss this, right? He doesn't just ask for any justice or righteousness. Look at what he actually prays for his son. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. This isn't just any righteousness. This isn't just any justice. This is God's justice he wants. This is God's righteousness. That means this is pure, perfect righteousness and goodness. This is flawless justice. Ask yourself this question. Why did David pray that for his son? Why did he know that that's what his son would need? Because if you were to take a magnifying glass to the annals of King David's history, you would quickly discover that he was greatly lacking different times in his reign God's justice and God's righteousness two names Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite Bathsheba he committed adultery with maybe even raped because he took her and that's all we read Uriah the Hittite her husband he had him murdered And so here's David and he's praying for his son and he's praying for his son's future reign and his desire is that he would be characterized by what clearly did not characterize David. You know what's interesting? Solomon's reigns get off to a glorious start. Remember? God for wisdom. So that when he would judge cases, Wisdom, so that he could apply it in his own life. But we also know that Solomon may have started well, but it didn't entirely end well. But don't worry. The prayer for righteousness and justice offered by David for his son 
was answered in Solomon's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, look at the fruit of a king whose reign is marked by justice and righteousness. Look at verse 2. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. David's prayer reveals that deep down he knew that what Israel would reap, what Israel would enjoy with a king who is righteous and a just character is that they would prosper. They would enjoy rich blessing. You know the word prosperity that's mentioned in verse 3, let the mountains bear prosperity for the people. That's actually where, that's actually the Hebrew word shalom. It's the Hebrew word that means peace, well-being, wholeness. The fruit of a righteous king, the fruit of a just king, well, it's the perfect conditions for God's people to prosper. Now, thinking about our own leaders, not, not thinking about our king per se, but let's think about our own parliamentarians. If you, if you listen to much of the debates, it's all about how can we create the perfect conditions for our country to prosper? And, you know, there's, there's different opinions. One opinion is, let's get Brexit done. Let's, let's get out of Europe. And our opinion is, no, 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 it's a terrible idea. We want to be in Europe. But we want to be independent from our nearest neighbours. That's the Scottish opinion. And then there's other opinions. No, no, no. If you want the country to flourish and prosper, you need to invest in health, in education. You need to increase the police force. We need safety on our streets. And then there's others that, no, no, no. That's not the priority. We need to invest in climate change. We need to invest in the environment. If we don't, we're on the road to calamity. And you know what's so ironic? In of themselves, all of those things, good as they may be, they won't cause a nation to prosper. But righteousness and justice will. A righteous, just ruler will. And that's why I said this prayer has its answer. It has its answer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the truly righteous one. That's how the New Testament describes the Lord Jesus, the righteous one, the one of perfect justice, the one who is revealed in Romans as the righteousness of God. So that's the first section. Let let me read from verse 8 through 11. This is the second section. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. I don't know about your prayer life, but I know my prayer life is often marked by small prayers. David cannot be accused of here of small prayers. The scope of his prayers is is just unbelievable. He prays that his son would have dominion over all the earth. The expectations in his mind is 
If his son's characterized by righteousness and and justice, then he should rule the whole world. The places he mentions there, that's the the furthest limits that David was aware of, but but he, he makes it so clear. He's praying that even the desert tribes, even the kings of Tarshish, even those in the coastlands would come and bring tribute to his son. Do you, do you remember Solomon's reign? It was a reign of expansion. Israel extended its borders. But it wasn't across the whole earth. And so again, this, this prayer, we could say it's partly answered in Solomon for, for a time, but, but who's it truly answered in? Well, in Solomon's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose kingdom knows no bounds. His kingdom has conquered every nation of the earth. It's interesting, isn't it, that when we hear a prayer like this, especially at a time like this, in a generation like this, it's a little bit uncomfortable. It reminds us of empire, imperialism, conquering nations, kings coming and bowing down and giving tributes. You know, when people are trying to put a magnify, magnifying glass and the history of Queen Elizabeth, this is where they're looking. And any time we think of any king, any ruler that's interested in empire or expansion, we think of people like Putin, tyrants, leaders with vain ambitions. But listen, do not misunderstand David's prayer king with God's righteousness and a king with God's justice is the best to reign over everyone. That was David's dream. There would be a king who would have all authority in heaven and on earth. There would be a king who people from every tribe, tongue, and nations would come, but would come and bow down and sing their praise and give him the sacrifice of their lips. And we know the prayer of David is ultimately answered. It's answered in Jesus. Now David moves again from speaking of the scope of his son's reign to returning to the character of his son's reign. Look at verses 12 through 14. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor in him who is no helper. He's pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life. And precious is their blood in his sight. You know, if you want to judge a leader, you know, if you want to get the measure of a leader, look at how they treat the poor, the needy, and the oppressed. It's a fact that people who are powerful can see people as just disposable, place no value in their life. Well, David's prayer for his son is that he would have great concern for those who are in need. That he would deliver them when they call. That they would, they who have no helper, that he would be their helper. 
Now, as you read that, right, we've just been studying John chapter 5 last week. This sounds an awful lot like Jesus. He is pity on the weak and the needy. He saves the lives of the needy from oppression and violence. He, he redeems their life. Precious is their blood in his sight. You know, it must have been some moment to sit on the side of the mountain and listen to Jesus say this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Listen to this king, this king who has come. Jesus, the heavenly king, the greater son of Solomon, he comes to the needy, the sick, the sinners. Not the righteous, not the arrogant, not the boastful, not the powerful. But to those who recognize their need of him. And then we come to the final, the fourth and final section of David's prayer for his son. Look at what he prays. Verse 15, and, and, and by the way, incidentally, when we say the queen has died, long live the king. Verse 15 Long may he live. Literally, long live the king. Every time you say those words, long live the king, it's a prayer. And now, now look at what it goes on to say. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all day. May there be abundance of grain in the land on the tops of the mountains. May it wave. May its fruits be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. And all nations call him blessed. Notice that David's prayer for his son, his son who would reign on his throne forever, is that he would be held in such high regard that others would come and bring him tribute. They would give him gifts of gold. Notice though, just just notice this little other little reference is so important. Prayers would be made for him continually. What does a ruler need? Prayer. What does our new king need? Prayer. What does First Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 say? We offer prayers, supplications and thanksgiving for our kings and those in high position because it is good and pleasing in the sight of God. Notice that this king too is to Receive blessing. Literally, he's to receive thanksgiving all the day long. And then, then David says that 
that the king's reign, the king's rule, is one of prosperity. It's one of fruitfulness. All of the, these expressions in verses 16. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountain may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. May people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. Listen, don't miss this. There's a link between a praying people for their king and the flourishing of the kingdom. It is incumbent upon us then to pray for our king. But ultimately, ultimately the prayer that David was praying is fulfilled in Jesus because the only way that that we can make sense of what this psalm goes on to say is if we understand Jesus. Look at verse 17. May his name endure forever his fame continue as long as the sun may people be blessed in him and all nations call him blessed you are reading through the bible from genesis through revelation you would get to genesis chapter 12 and you'd read the promise that god made to abraham i'm going to make your name great i'm going to make you a great nation all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through your offspring one of your offspring and then you come to this psalm and you would read this verse and it would say, may people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. And you would think, here's the fulfillment. And it's going to be in David's son. And perhaps everyone in, 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 under the reign of Solomon, they were, they were waiting with expectation. Is he the one in whom we will all be blessed? Only to discover that Solomon let them down. But when you come to see Jesus, come to know Jesus, he's the one who fulfills these very words. It's in him we have a blessing. Now, when you read through the books, the various books that are in the Psalter, you'll you'll see that they all end the same way. They all end with a doxology. They all end with praise. And you know the response to the reign of the, the, the righteous reign of Jesus is to give him the praise that is due to his name. And that's what verses 18 and 19 are. The praise that is due to the heavenly king. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen. Amen. When your eyes are wide open to how this prayer was answered in Jesus, there's nothing that you would want to respond with but praise. Because in Christ we have the righteous ruler, the just ruler. In Christ we have the one who cares about the poor, the needy, the oppressed. In Christ we have the one who brings our prosperity who gives us shalom. And so our response is to bless his holy name. You know, if I can just go back to King Charles. We don't know what kind of ruler is going to be like. But we can speculate that he's not going to be perfect. 
but it is incumbent upon us to pray for him. Long live the king. God save the king. Let's pray. Our glorious God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that your word speaks to us in every single situation of our life. We thank you that, God, you're the one who delights to help us to respond to what we face in life. We thank you that even your word has equipped us for times such as this. I thank you that you have left us this prayer of David for his son Solomon and for the greater greater one than Solomon, the Lord Jesus Christ. We would pray that you would teach us to take this psalm upon our lips as often as we can as we think about our new king and as we think about our prime minister and our cabinet. Lord, we long for our nation to flourish and to prosper and to know peace. We long for the many injustices in our society, the many wrongs to be made right. We long for people to have character that is shaped by integrity and honesty. And we, we, we recognize, Lord, that the only way, the only way we will have this is if we turn to the heavenly king and we pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. But we do recognize that we have a new king and we recognize that our king is a great responsibility And in this great time of change and uncertainty, we pray that he would come to know you, the unchanging God. The God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We pray that he would put his faith firmly in you. And that he would come to be blessed as he acknowledges you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Oh, how we pray that he would live long because he would believe in the Lord Jesus and know the gift of eternal life. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen.